Hi, I'm Stephanie, and this is Real Housewives of Neopia. Together, we're going to re-explore some dark depths of pop culture, most of which you've willfully forgotten about. First and foremost, I want to quickly address the obvious. Even though I mostly discuss topics like Tory Spelling storage units or my favorite chip flavors, it would be irresponsible not to publicly state that Black Lives Matter. I am not making content for anyone who feels otherwise. This is simply a reality TV podcast, but to me, that makes it even more necessary to clarify my stance. There are so many fellow non-Black people who use Tiffany Pollard or NeNe Leakes gifts as punctuation or their quotes as a substitute for a personality, while still remaining complacent or even actively harmful. I am not an authority on the matter, but I will link resources at the top of my episode description, and I also intend to consolidate that relevant info on an IG story highlight as well. In the meantime, I hope I can spare you a lol or a smile and that you enjoy the episode. That being said, my day today reminds me of that one Reba McIntyre tweet that reads, To catch you up to speed, I had a good breakfast and then the torture started. Sent from my iPad. My breakfast actually wasn't even particularly good. It was just organic blueberries and leftover graham crackers. After that, I embarked on my commute to work, which consisted of one half-hour appointment. On the bus there, I was sitting in the corner wearing an N95 mask and listening to the new Reality Graveyard episode blissfully until I realized that another bus rider was intermittently vomiting blood out in the open. I definitely hope he's okay. The bus driver said he just picked him up from the hospital when other riders demanded that he leave the bus. Obviously, I didn't love being stuck in a metal box with a stranger vomiting blood, but I felt really bad that everyone was acting about a third grader about it. Like, clearly it's gross. The man probably knows that and doesn't feel great about it to begin with. Of course he doesn't feel great, period, if his body is betraying him in such a public way. So either get off the bus or offer him a plastic bag. I found them murmuring in the loud enough passive-aggressive comments to amplify the discomfort of the situation. But I needed to get to work, so me and him rode the bus all the way together. And that basically set the tone for my day. Things did start looking up for me pretty recently, though, because I passed out for four or so hours after eating a plate of bacon, avocado, and very well-seasoned and well-crisped hash browns. I just woke up from that healing stupor, so fingers crossed for the rest of my evening. I think things are promising. So that brings me to my next segment, where I astonish my audience weekly with a ghoulish tale of roommates past. These two actually came to mind because of that poor man, since they would also just vom or diarrhea all over our home without cleaning it up. All of the aliases I choose are very deliberate, so I can remember for future stories. So we will call this couple I lived with Sunday and Svetlana. For your own clarity while listening, Sunday uses they-them pronouns, while Svetlana uses both they-them pronouns as well as she-her pronouns. They ushered in version 2.0 of my current apartment's roommate lineup after dear Marissa moved out, and they definitely did so with a bang. Neither of them had a job for the entirety of their five- or six-month run here, so whether we wanted to or not, we got to know them quite well. 
The reason why they were able to live here without holding a job is because Sunday came from money and Svetlana was just along for the ride. Despite moving into the largest room in our house, which I currently live in now, they would camp in our living room for all of their waking hours, which would be approximately 11 a.m. to 5 a.m. Everyone is obviously entitled to use common areas like the living room, of course, but they truly treated it like their own studio apartment. As a small example, they tried displaying their BDSM toys right out there in place of our other roommate's Day of the Dead altar. Their cleanliness was also highly questionable, with one instance of them leaving a pot of fish soup on our stove for three days. Even though both of those things sound major, they were smaller symptoms of a much larger problem because they're just endless stories that fall into both of those categories. As I touched upon earlier, they also bodied our downstairs toilet with various splatter without cleaning it ever. When confronted about any of this, they both had signature ways of reacting. Sunday would self-flagellate to the point of ridiculousness, and Svetlana would melt down into screaming at the top of her lungs theatrics. A great and somewhat topical example of Sunday's method occurred when they were called out on their white fragility and refusal to take accountability. In the process of that, they literally dropped their knees and started cradling their head in their hands. No exaggeration. On the same subject, Svetlana angrily declared that she has, a direct quote, so many radical POC friends. Svetlana stopped acknowledging any of us altogether at a certain point and would ignore us if we even said hi. Just fine by me, I didn't want to talk to her anyway. On top of all of this, they'd also fuck extremely loud at all hours of the day since they didn't have to go to work. The perfect storm of these issues culminated on Valentine's Day 2019. I'd had a lovely day with Aaron, who joined me at work to hang out with the dogs and I, and he got me lots of my favorite treats after. I was riding the high of my milk bar B-Day truffles and hit the shower as soon as we got home. Showers are also basically one of my favorite hobbies, and I feel like I may as well be on fire if I ever skip one, so every day I greatly look forward to it. I just couldn't wait to come clean hillaryduff.mp3, but I was greeted by something very curious sitting in our bathtub. There was some kind of toy, but I'd never seen anything like that in my decade plus of consistent sexual liberation and chronic masturbation. Upon further inspection, it was a very unique flashlight. I think it was by like Bad Dragon or something. If you're unfamiliar with Bad Dragon and don't want to risk that Google journey, they create fantasy sex toys largely marketed to furries. So I don't know what creature's pussy that was supposed to be, but it was metallic gold and massive. I was honestly so used to their shenanigans by this point that I just moved it out of the way to display it clearly, but that made no difference as it sat in our bathroom for hours afterward. If you think I'm a bitch for doing that, or my other roommate is a bitch for calling them out in the group chat, I'll have you know that one or both of them used that bathroom several times during the course of those hours. 
On the subject of furries, I'd like to move on and enchant you with another truly legendary tale to celebrate the start of Pride Month. Most people from my built-in audience know me from my days as a Tumblr queen and probably know this story, but some people are just getting to know me and I can't think of a better way to aid in that process. I had a viral video five or six years ago explaining this briefly, completely on a whim, and I didn't know it would gain the attention that it did, but let's apply the story to a more sophisticated, structured format and throw in some never-before-spoken-of bonus content for Pride. For as long as I can remember, I've always been into girls and embraced those feelings wholeheartedly. In my own personal experience, it was never something that I grappled with in a negative way. I know a lot of people don't have that experience, and I'm lucky too, but just to give you some background, I was never really confused or embarrassed about it whatsoever. My earliest memory of that goes back to 1998 or so, so I would have been six. My aunt had these poster catalogs and would ask me which one I wanted, but I always picked the naked girls. There was a censored bar over their parts, but I'd be absolutely incredulous and start crying hysterically when I was told that was not an option. Around the same time, I spent a lot of time in my aunt's hometown that had this weird old-timey game called Fascination. I still fully don't understand what it is. There's a Wikipedia page. But it combined, I think, skee-ball and gambling, essentially. Since there was a gambling element, it was obviously for adults only, but I was dying to grow up specifically so I could take Jesse from Team Rocket and Pokemon there on a date. I also spent a lot of time catfishing in AOL chat rooms so I could have cyber sex with girls when I was like ages 7 through 11. I had a pretty robust run. My screen name was actually Multiple Goddess, which was meant to convey that I'm a goddess in so many ways, but all the AOL girls thought it meant multiple orgasms. I've always been ahead of my time, honestly. Since I didn't fully understand the mechanics of lesbian foreplay or sex at that age, I would say some truly insane things in my chat in asterisks to convey an action like, sticks an ice cube up your pussy. I'm not even kidding. I would say that to people on the internet. And I thought that that was how things went down. And as an adult, I'm really relieved that that's not how lesbian sex goes. I was also catfishing as sisters at one point and would play them against one another in chat rooms, even though they were both literally just me, but that's besides the point. Fifth grade, when I was 10 or 11, is when I developed my first IRL girl crush. I was truly obsessed with my best friend at the time named Crystal. Don't know where she is now. Shout out, Crystal. And the flames of that were being stoked by tattoos, radio play, and just presence in pop culture. Let me know if you're around my age and it was truly life-changing and mind-blowing when you saw their... I think it was a performance on the MTV Movie Awards where all of the girls came out and stripped down to their underwear and just started kissing. Yeah, exactly. So that friend, Crystal, suggested a game called Furcadia to Me, which brings us to the meat and potatoes of the story. 
I had no idea what a furry was at the time, and in hindsight, I'm unclear if she even knew. I was under the impression that it was just an MMORPG game with cute animal avatars. Wait, I can't believe I just said MMORPG game. That's like when people say ATM machine, whatever. So I thought it was just like we're playing with cute animal avatars, but I thought that everyone shared an understanding that we were all talking as people and not like as our avatars. Like I would tell people I had huge boobs, but I didn't realize they were picturing Lola Bunny with a huge rack. I just thought I was coming off as a sexy 20-something human woman. Before I move forward any further, I just want to say that I am not and have never been a furry, and this isn't me finding my voice to come out as one. That said, I was thrilled to explore for Katie's highly sexualized adults-only area called Furabian Nights. I simply couldn't wait to have cyber sex with tons of girls, and I totally did. Furabian Nights contain lots of user designs, strip clubs, bars, and other sinister areas. I really got around, and I lived for it. I didn't even realize until years later that I spent the beginning stages of puberty just dabbling in furryism. I even picked up some of their furry-specific vernacular, like yiffing, which I took way too long to realize wasn't a normal synonym for fucking. Even though I didn't realize it, I feel like it was similar to Tyra Banks' insensitive social experiments, where she would see what it's like to be homeless or fat for a few hours. My accidental foray into furryism was short-lived, but it certainly burned bright. I was fighting for gay rights, Mm -hmm. and people were killed. In keeping with the Pride theme, I want to talk about the self-proclaimed lesbian Don Juan, Courtney Simmel. She was the name on my lips all weekend, which she often is. It might be a long walk to get there, but just strap in. I promise we'll get to the Courtney of it all. I spent a lot of Saturday watching The Simple Life with Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie, which is probably my most reliable feel-good show. I fired up all of my favorite episodes. If you want to know what my favorite episodes are, feel free to DM me. But it's perhaps the only thing I found hysterically funny when I was 11 that I still do currently. In the spirit of being both controversial and brave, I do quickly want to say that I think The Simple Life is basically a better executed Eric Andre show in my eyes. Since Aaron had never seen full episodes barring gifts or memes, a lot of thoughtful discussion points and questions were sparked on his part. He was also expressing how funny the show was and also how ahead of its time it was. We were talking about how perfect the formula was at the beginning of the show's run. Nicole has the natural comedic timing and did most of the heavy lifting, but Paris's role was also artful and essential. I asked if he knew that Kimberly Stewart was originally supposed to be Paris's co-star, and I expressed how bad that would have been. But he didn't know that, and he didn't even know who Kimberly Stewart was. His ignorance of Kimberly Stewart, Rod Stewart's daughter, led me down this fiery, impassioned path. If you guys don't know who she is, she, as I just said, is the daughter of Rod Stewart and was part of that circle of Paris Hilton friends and hanger-ons of that era. 
My favorite clip in the world, actually, which I'll post if I can find, she and Paris were at, I believe, a Maxim red carpet event, and they were posing on motorcycles. Kimberly somehow accelerated hers and just throttled and fell off. But Paris chose to just continue posing for photographers. Additionally, this is apropos of nothing, but in season five of The Simple Life, I see this gif and this screen cap being um, circled around so much where Nicole says, we know a girl named Kim, she's a hoe. And it's so widely circulated because people think they're referring to Kim Kardashian, but they were referring to Kim Stewart. Anyhow, in trying to gauge how much information to dump on him, I asked if he knew who Casey Johnson was, since she was also among the friends Paris asked to be in The Simple Life with her. He didn't know who she was either, which led, to, which led me to where we are now. Casey Johnson, who is the Johnson & Johnson heiress, dated Courtney Simmel, who I started this whole tangent with in the first place. Since he didn't know who Casey was, I was gobsmacked and I was like, so that means you don't know who Courtney Simmel is. I was shocked when he didn't, but I started to realize that a lot of people don't know who she is. To me, Courtney Smell reminds me of Sandy Hook deniers and conspiracy theorists who claim they always see the same crisis actor at every tragedy. By the way, I do not subscribe to those views, but... To me, she's the crisis actor of all the starlets, and she's just always present and prominent, but slithers under the radar somehow. While explaining her background and all her ties romantically or otherwise to the greats of the era, I literally started slamming my fist on the counter. At that point, he told me I'm the Alex Jones of talking about Courtney Simmel. Courtney is the daughter of the Yahoo CEO, and I actually remember the first time I ever saw her. Incidentally, it was on the E! Channel's horrific Simple Life knockoff called Filthy Rich Cattle Drive. I forget exactly how many cast members there were. There were at least eight, and they were all rich heirs and heiresses who needed to complete a cattle drive. It's as boring as it sounds. She and Kourtney Kardashian embarked on the journey as best friends, which they still are till this day. I revisited the first episode on Saturday because I didn't remember much about it at all, and Kourtney Samel was the only one bringing much of anything to the table. It also aired in 2005 before Kardashian Calamity, picture Calamity spelled with a K, struck the nation, so Courtney Kay was just another interchangeable rich girl on the cast. I know that Courtney Simmel currently identifies as a lesbian, so I don't know if I'm stating this journey of hers correctly, but from what I gather, she was self-producing by creating a love triangle between this really forgettable man and Brittany Gastineau. Side note, please slide into my DMs if you know where I can revisit Gastineau Girls. This is a non-sequitur since I haven't even seen it, but she was also in a 2002 unreleased film called Sweetie Pie with Paris Hilton and Cisco Adler. Going back to Kimberly Stewart, she also dated Cisco Adler, 
And she had a tattoo that said, Daddy's little girl loves Cisco, that she had to have changed to Daddy's little girl loves Disco when they broke up. To me, that's huge. But anyway, the Courtney Samell erasure from Lindsay Lohan's Sophic Journey keeps me up at night. Everyone knows Lindsay's relationship with Sam Ronson, and people seem to refer to it as a fluke, even though they were very much in a legitimate, serious, and very tumultuous relationship. No one wants to acknowledge the truth of the matter, though, which is that Courtney was Lindsay's first foray. According to Courtney's words in 2008, she and Lindsay had a covert and passionate relationship, but Lindsay was terrified by her own desire for women and also feared it would be a career ender. Courtney also said that's part of why she was self-medicating and going through a promiscuous phase with men to try and numb and conceal those feelings toward women. It ended up culminating in a love triangle between Courtney, Lindsay, and Sam, which till this day I'm shocked more people don't talk about. Courtney didn't understand why she could go public with Sam given her previous anxieties. Lindsay would also allegedly write Sam love letters signed Lindsay Ronson while also telling Courtney she loved her too. Their friendship ended as a result, but as of Saturday, they follow each other on IG, so I think all is well now. Lindsay wasn't the only familiar face Courtney dated around the 2008 era, as she and Tila Tequila also had a very public relationship. I'm obsessed with the fact that Courtney stated she watched Tila on Shot at Love and said, I need to meet this girl. And she did, and they dated. My favorite photos of them together are at a red carpet event for Tony Hawk's limited edition T-Mobile sidekick. I also found rumors, but no photographic evidence, that Courtney also had a fling with Aubrey O'Day from Danity Kane. And despite there being nothing to back it up, I personally choose to believe it. Moving along to another legitimate relationship that's very much confirmed of Courtney's, she dated Casey Johnson, who we spoke of before. Casey was a fixture in the Hilton, Hilton sisters' early aught circle, but she took a dark turn toward the end of her short life. She was estranged and cut off from both of her parents, which is huge because she was a Johnson & Johnson heiress prior to being cut off, and she was battling with drug addiction, a host of mental issues, and was said to be living in complete squalor. Before she passed away with Tila Tequila as her fiancé, we have to quickly revisit that she dated Courtney as well. Since we are throwing around a lot of names here, let me just repeat and clarify. Two of Courtney's exes, Casey Johnson and Tila Tequila, were engaged at the time of Casey's death. Casey and Courtney were first spotted as a couple leaving Paris Hilton's housewarming with plenty of gross articles at the time calling them attention-seeking simply for being two women connecting in a physical way. Sources and friends stated that Casey and Courtney were totally in love, but you'll find way more content that describes the darker side of things. They were described as on and off with reports that Courtney lit Casey's hair on fire. She denies that and also publicly renounced Casey shortly before her passing. She told Page Six that, I wish her well, but well away from me. 
I have suffered emotional torture and manipulation at the hands of this woman. Courtney apparently was pushed to this point after Casey broke into Jasmine Leonard, who is a model, um, into her house. And Courtney realized that she was wearing Jasmine's underwear and had all sorts of her belongings and documents strewn all over the place. I know that our focus here is Courtney, but I want to quickly talk Casey and Tila because Courtney is directly involved at certain points and not just in a six degrees of separation kind of way. Tila and Casey apparently used to hate one another, but bonded over going through the same stuff. I think it's safe to assume that implies Courtney Samel in some way. Casey and Tila's relationship seem truly unhinged, with many of Casey's friends citing that Tila is a sick woman and a harmful enabler. Based on Tila's live stream and Twitter journey around this time, that seems to track. By the way, if you hear rustling, I'm really sorry. It's windy and the curtains and everything are just billowing all over the place. My apologies. So Courtney came for Tila in the press by saying her engagement ring from Casey isn't real and that she previously was the owner of said ring. Casey also spent a holiday weekend while engaged to Tila relentlessly and erratically attacking Courtney's friends on Twitter. Since Casey's passing, Courtney has continued to condemn Tila in the press. She stated that Casey was the love of her life in that Tila's actions following Casey's death were nothing short of evil and attention-seeking. If you've seen the post-paparazzi videos of Tila right outside of Casey's home, I think you might be inclined to agree with our lesbian Don Juan. Circling back to the Hilton sisters, I want to note that Tila also fought Nikki Hilton, as well as Bijou Phillips, when they came to get Casey's dogs and belongings after her passing. I know for many people with my interest that this is all old news and easily Googleable, but less people recognize Courtney's impact than you'd think. While her past is highly questionable and I can't co-sign her actions in good conscience, lesbians were criminally underrepresented in this era and they still are. She was always in the mix, but never got the widespread shine of her contemporaries, so I wanted to educate and pay homage. At this point, I'm going to wrap things up. I do want to take a moment to thank all of my monthly supporters. It's because of you guys that I no longer sound like I'm recording inside a fry later. If you wish to join the winning team for as low as 99 cents monthly, there is a link both on my anchor profile and at the bottom of each episode description. This is strictly optional with no obligation whatsoever because I ultimately just live for the applause anyway. You can find me on Instagram at Botox Groupon, B-O-T-O-X-G-R-O-U-P-O-N, and the pod at Real Housewives of Neopia. I can't wait to talk with you guys next week. I love you. Bye.